0: Take your way over to the book of Nehemiah. It's two books before the Psalms. Makes it a little easier to get to it. Uh, and find your way over to chapter chapter 8. Voices, you're sitting in Stucky's chair. That means you're required to laugh loudly at anything remotely funny. Oh, is that his official chair? Okay, never mind. Um, yeah, so Nehemiah chapter 8. And just a reminder, at this point, the walls that they've been built, uh, they're complete. The gates are in. He has set up a leadership locally, uh, the gatekeepers, the singers, they've all been appointed, families have been uh, reassigned to the places they, uh, they serve, and, and today we, we see the people of God making another return, another reestablishment, and that is, is returning to the word of, of God. Uh, and, and in the weeks ahead, we're going to see that this, this becomes the very first step in, in what becomes this, this time of reformation, this time of restoration or revival among God's people here uh, a time of, of genuine worship and heartfelt o- obedience, at least for a while, and, and, and this is the first time that, that Jerusalem, that the Israelites are, are seeing this for at least 200 years at this point in history. Uh, so, so we're going to read it. Today I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. I'm going to ask that you uh, stand for, for the reading of the word this morning, and uh, that'll make sense to you once we, we get into this. Beginning in Nehemiah 8, verse 1. and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood Mattiah, Meti- Shemiah, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masasiah uh, on his right hand. And Padiah, Mishel, Malchakajah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zachariah, Meshalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. And he opened it, and uh, as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bonnie, Jerebiah, Jammin, Shabbat Shabbathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalidah, Azariah, Jezabad, Hannah, Paliah, the, Le- the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. The grass withers, the flower fades. You may be seated. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious word. And as I seek to expound it this morning, I ask that you would wash away our worries, that you would remove our propensity to wander in our minds and and draw us into these eight verses before us today. In the words of Psalm 119.18, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So those names, you, you wouldn't believe it, but I actually practice and I was so good until this moment. It didn't go that well this morning, though. Uh, so anyway, so far, uh, this book, right, that uh, has been written in the first person. I don't know if you've noticed that as we've gone through this, right? The, uh, the use of the word I, Nehemiah's narrating, right? I was in Susa. I would set up the gates, that kind of thing. And, and now, as you look at the passage today, you, you notice, right, it's changed to the third person. And it's going to stay this way. It's going to stay in the third person uh, for quite a while. In fact, we're not going to see the word I uh, until halfway through chapter 12, and here we are in 8, so quite a while, and it raises that question, well, why, why this sudden change? Who really cares besides an English teacher, right? Well, he, here's what's happening that you're going to notice, right? The focus is, is switching here from walls, from, from government, to this spiritual renewal among God's people, and, and that's the shift that's happening, and, and as this happens, Nehemiah falls out of focus, and this other person, Ezra, is going to come into focus uh, at the same time, but but why why Ezra right? There's a there's a book in our, our Bibles that is uh, about Ezra. It's called. Uh, anyone know what it's called? Ezra. Yeah. Well done. Uh, you, you might call it actually a prequel to, to Nehemiah. They're often preached together. We didn't do it that way. But uh, the bottom line is that that Ezra here is he's a priest. Uh, Ezra is is a scribe. And if you don't know what a scribe is, right? Before before Xerox machines. Um, before the printing presses, but before that super convenient ability to hold something with your finger and copy and paste, uh, the way that more copies of God's word was, was actually made was that someone had to sit down with one copy and copy it over onto another copy with their hand. And, and copying like that makes you incredibly familiar with whatever you are copying. That's why it was a classroom discipline for, for children for many, many years, right? Writing over and over again, I will not throw apples across the room, I will not throw apples across the room, and then you never forget it. Um, now, it has been 13 years since the book of Ezra, and, and, and this is the first time that we have seen his name show up in the book of Nehemiah, which, which raises this question, where, where has Nehemiah been? Where, why hasn't he shown up? And, and, and the answer is, well, for, we don't know for sure. We don't really know where Nehemiah's been with absolute certainty, but most likely he's been there. Right in Jerusalem, quietly, faithfully, teaching God's people in smaller settings. Uh, and he just hadn't shown up into the, the, to the writing of this at any point. Now, regardless of, of where he's been or, or what he's been doing, it, it becomes very evident here that, that the people respect Ezra. It's a name that shows up when it comes to this, the teaching of God's word here, right? Um, that, that he's the person that they call for when they want to, to understand the word, when they want it read to them. And, and, and did you notice this about the passage, right? It's, it's not driven, or rather, it is driven by the people. They're the ones who, who actually initiate this. That's where the, this push comes from. And in other words, it's not Ezra standing up and saying, you know what? You guys need to hear the word of God, so you all have to come here, and you're going to be fine if you don't, or something like that, uh, to listen to the word. But rather, the people are saying, we want to know the word of God. We want you to read it. We want to hear it. We are longing for this. And, 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 and that's what we're seeing here, right? So, so while this all seems really spontaneous the way we read it, like, oh, did it just happen all of a sudden, right? This is not the way this would have happened. It was certainly organized, right? For, for one, they, they selected a location. Let's go to the water gate. Um, Uh, And this area is is larger than the temple court. Uh, Everyone that they invite to this would have been able to enter into this place without any problem. Uh, Think of it, it's a big open plaza. Uh, Students, think Bosco Plaza, right? But significantly larger. Estimates put this between 30 and 50,000 people, uh, so you're thinking really big, more like, you know, the, the big stadium over there. Uh, they built this platform, uh, literally in the Hebrew, what they built is, is called a tower, uh, and if you trace the etymology, you're, you're going to find this connection between our modern word, a pulpit, right, uh, and, and the word here that, that's being used as, as tower, it's a raised platform. It's, it, it's where, why we get that phrase that you, you heard Travis pray today, right, to sitting under the word of God. It's, it's raised up, it's preached out, and it comes down, right? Uh, and so it's this, this image of sitting under the word of the God, of God being preached. Uh, it's a platform that's really big, right? It's big enough that Ezra is flanked by 13 Levites behind him. Should we have our elders up here? We need more elders if we're going to pull this off. But, uh, right, it's just a big platform. No one knows. We don't know why they're there exactly. Are they there for some sort of solidarity or or so that the people know, oh, here are some other guys that can help us understand the word and and you recognize them later, maybe something like that. Um, Again, though, it's not as spontaneous as as it sounds. You you see in verse 2 there where it says, the first day of the seventh month. He's not just... Keeping a date there, right? That, that means something. Kind of like if I said the 4th of July, that means something to you, right? But if you're visiting from, well, not Canada, they probably know, but some other country, you're like, well, I don't know what 4th of July is, that's just a date. But, but this actually means something. And, and for them, this date marks the Feast of the Trumpets, uh, one of the six festivals that, that God called Israel to recognize. You can read about it, I'll read it here. In Leviticus 23 God says, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. I love that they have trumpets and rest all put together. They seem contrary, but uh, they're resting from work, right? But they're gathering for worship on that day. And, and, and this also marks the beginning of, of the Jewish uh, civil new year anyway, right? So, so, so this is why there are all these people in, Israel, or in Jerusalem at this point. Even though, if you remember, just a couple weeks ago when we were here, we were learning there's nobody hardly in Jerusalem. They need more people in Jerusalem. Uh, and suddenly, everyone's showing up because there's a big, huge festival going on. Um, now, they've traveled to, to, to celebrate this feast. They've traveled probably in greater numbers than usual even because they hear the word, right? This, the city has been restored. The walls are restored. Let's all go and see this, this newness, Right? Uh, so it's hard for us to find a modern comparison to this. We don't do many feasts like this that, that are gatherings, right? I probably the best modern thing actually is like a Christian conference where there are a bunch of speakers. Uh, you can almost hear them asking, you know, well, who's the speaker this year at the trumpet festival, right? It's it's Ezra, and someone's like, oh, I read his book. It's really good. Uh, so it's a lot like ours in that regard. Now, now anyway, uh, the, the people asked to hear the book of the law of Moses and. And what they're referring to here is the first five books of, of, of your Bible, okay? Um, that's what it is. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This is often called the Torah because uh, Torah is a Hebrew word that it means law, right? This is the law of God, the law of Moses. Um, it's, it's sometimes called the Pentateuch. You ever heard that word? Uh, that's the, the Greek use of it. It comes from the Greek word penta. You know what that means, unfortunately, because of pentagram probably, right? Five. Uh, and uh, tukos, which means scroll, so the five scrolls is what that is right there. Uh, and these five books are, are, are what they want to hear. And, and, and in one sense, I want you to understand that what's happening in, in this passage at the reading of the word here is very ordinary. <clears throat> they read the word, they explain the word. That's what we're doing right now. It's very ordinary, Right? And as I mentioned before, Ezra's probably been doing this for years in smaller settings among these same people or some of these same people. But in another sense, there is something unique going on in this moment. God is here doing something in the hearts of his wandering people. He has stirred up their hearts. He's given them a desire to know his word, to, to return to his word. In fact, you, you see, every revival in history has begun like this where, where, where the Lord gives the people a desire to know his word more. That's the way it begins. And, and, and we read here, right, there is this massive unity among the people. They're like one man. And, and yet the makeup of this group of uh, those gathered is explained to us in verse 2. Look at it, right? Both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. And that, that phrase is almost word for word repeated in verse 3 as well. Uh, that, that last bit, right, about those who could understand what was heard probably means uh, children old enough to understand the reading and the teaching. It, it may also refer to uh, those who, who don't speak the language and, and don't understand it, it well, right? After all, in Deuteronomy thirty-one twelve. Uh, At another feast, a different feast, God, through Moses says, Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law. You see... um, from time to time, someone looking to visit MPC will call and ask, and, and they really want to ask this, they ask this question, right, what do you offer, is it, kind of the way it is. What do you, what do you offer for, for children during worship, or what do you offer for my teenager during worship? Uh, and, and they ask that because it's become this common practice in, in, in the modern church to, to have a separate service for people based on the age that they are, um, there, or some other kids program going on at the same time as, as worship. Some of them, many of them go through junior high, some of them go all the way through high school, right? So a family arrives to worship the Lord at church and they split up and they go their separate ways and they don't see each other until they're ready to go back to the car uh, together. It, it, it is no wonder because of this practice that, that children in these situations, they, they often graduate and feel like that's, that's not my church, I don't know anybody there, I don't feel like I belong to that church. Uh, and and that's, you see those stats all the time, right? That youth, youth are falling out of the church, and that's part of the contribution to that, not the whole thing. Um, and, and the problem is, it was, it was never really their church to begin with. They, they aged out of a certain segment of the church, and suddenly they don't know where they go, except for a few of them might actually get involved with that point. Uh, and so when people ask this question, right, is without being snarky, I've learned to do that, right, I, I tell them, listen, here's what we have. There, there is youth and, and children's Sunday school class, we do it, you know, eight weeks in the fall, eight weeks in the spring, Um, I tell them, you're you're not required, but your children younger than six are invited to this uh, worship training that happens during the sermon portion of the service only. Uh, There's nursery for children younger than that. Uh, But more importantly, for your children, during the worship service, here's what we've got. We have got a worship service. A worship service where your children get to see their mother and or their father worship the Lord. A worship service where they're right next to you so you can lean over and explain things to them when you're thinking that's kind of hard to understand or or they don't understand why we're doing this or why he said that and you can answer their questions. A worship service where they're going to understand more and more as they they grow in age, as they mature in their faith uh, and, and learn how to worship God among fellow believers of all different ages where they get a picture of this is the church, not just people that are my age but all different ages. I'll, I'll tell you over the years, right, that people are always like, well, my kids are bored in that thing, right? Uh, yeah, they probably are at sometimes. Every time you end up in these things, you, you might have the potential for being bored, and that's okay. That, that's part of the process, honestly, as, as you grow and mature for these kind of things. Now, we, we've given our children notebooks since the youngest age, and we've told them Any, anything that is said by whoever is, is preaching that day, you can draw a picture of that. And, and you get, you know, it's, it's a way for them to practice listening, to learn, okay, I'm listening, because that's the guide for what I can draw here, and it helps them to engage in a, in a better way from a young age, and, and it really has made for some great conversations over the year, because we go back over what they've drawn, like, what is this? What is that? Why did you draw? Oh, yeah, he did say that, right? Uh, things like, when they're little, right, you hear the word discipleship, and they draw a ship, and, you know, that's not exactly what we meant, but okay, that begins the conversation. Uh, as they've grown, we've done some pretty amazing comic book strips that they've drawn that kind of go with the sermon. Um, but, but it's got them listening and it keeps them engaged, which, which is what we're aiming for. To be honest, that's the reason I, I take notes when I sit in a sermon. I don't even keep the notes just because it helps me stay, stay focused. Uh, but anyway, here, here's the bottom line here, uh, is this. The very best children's ministry program. Not the most polished, the most interesting, the most attractive to the parents, but the very best children's ministry program is kids worshiping Jesus alongside their parents. There really is nothing better than that. So then, if you just read, right, thinking through what what Nehemiah read here. If you just read at a good pace, it takes 12 hours to read the Torah, the first 5 books. However, we're told that Ezra reads from early morning to, to midday, somewhere in the range of six hours is what that means. We don't know, did he begin in Genesis or did he skip to Leviticus? And they're like, can we go back to Genesis? Uh, we, we don't know how far he, he actually read, but, but six hours, that's an incredibly long time. A long time. And now, so let me confess, right? I was a little anxious last week. We had Penelope's baptism and those kind of things always add a little to the service. And then Zach was preaching um, and, and he started to go a little longer than usual and I looked at my clock, my watch and I don't wear a clock. Uh, um, and, and I was kind of panicking thinking, oh, this is going, we're going to go real long today. Like I, and then he's like, and then, you know, and then verse six or whatever it was, I was like, that's three more verses to go. This is going to take us forever. Uh, and, and I kind of panicked because because we're Americans, right? We expect everything to fit into these nice little time slots, uh, segments of, of some, some degree. And, and, and yet there's this, this pushback on me. That's like, okay, but why, right? Where, where are we rushing off to that's more important than worshiping the Lord? And if anyone really has to go somewhere, has to get out of here, they're free to leave. No one's keeping them here. Uh, and, and it was just kind of that, that pushback. And there is that question that sometimes we want, we want things to go at a, a certain pace. I remember um, years ago, we were negotiating with, with FCC about what time of our worship time was going to be. Uh, another church, we're trying to fit two churches into one building, and, and how does this happen? And Travis and I were at the, the meeting, and, and, and then we were, we were suggesting a time like, no, if we, get, if we did that, we would get out too late, and the Baptists would beat us to the restaurants. And we laughed, thinking it was a joke, and it was not a joke at all, uh, which is why we ended up with the time we had, in case you were wondering. Uh, anyway, it was not the whole church. It was just, it was important to somebody on that, on that, that board. Um, anyway, last week, we went over by 10 minutes. 10 minutes. I was panicking, anxious, to my own shame, over 10 minutes. No big deal. Meanwhile, in our, in our passage here, right, a service of six hours. That makes our roughly 75-minute service seem like a TikTok. Anyway, it'd be a poor application to take the length of this extraordinary service and expect that to be how long the Lord's Day worship is every single week. So don't think that's where we're going here, right? And yet, what I really want you to understand here, what I want you to see here, is, is, is look at the hunger for God's word among people, God's people in this passage. We, we should long for that hunger among ourselves. Again, people I'll, I'll talk to sometimes, when they find out I'm a pastor, they usually say something along the lines like, oh, I, I should go to church, but I don't really know much about the Bible. And I'm like, well, that's why you should go to church, right? Um, and, and I imagine many of you feel the same way at times. I, I, I've graduated seminary, and I sometimes feel that way. Like, I just don't know it as well as I feel like I should know it at this point. And, and anyway, the, the solution to not knowing God's word or not knowing it well is, It's to read God's word, to study God's word, to to be in God's word, to to listen to God's word, to to sit and be engaged under the preaching and the teaching of God's word, right? It's important, you know, for for as Calvin says, right, the the more we know the scriptures, the more we can know God and the more we can rightly understand ourselves. And, And listen, as Christians, you and I, we are people of the word, right? This is the guiding foundation of our life. It just is. We are people of the word. As, as Raymond Brown has said, God speaks uniquely to us through his word. And if we close our ears to this daily conversation, we cannot hope to develop into mature believers. All right, that, that speaks to our personal Bible reading. And, and while personal Bible reading is of really great importance in your life, don't miss that in our passage here. It's actually about it's, it's corporate, right? It's this gathered time of God's people in the same aspect or the same part of God's word together. You see what's, what's going on here, what we're seeing here is this, this covenant renewal among God's people. Like, like we read in Exodus 24-7, when, when, when Moses is speaking, and he says, uh, he took the book of the covenant, and he read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Right, That's not the first time they've heard it. They're, they're renewing that. It's a, a covenant renewal that God is making with his people here. Worship reminds you that no matter where you are right now or where you've wandered away to, that God is, is faithful and, and welcomes you back with open arms because you are sovereignly his. Right? There's that, that, that welcome back aspect here. That, that, that's why we have that, that statement at the end of our, our liturgy on page 18 in your bulletin, right? The service of covenant renewal concludes, right? We're understanding that, that this is a renewal. Each, each Sunday we, we come in here and we remember the gospel again. We, we remember that of God's faithfulness. We remember all that Jesus has done for us. And you think, well, I didn't really forget it, but you kind of do in the midst of your life. You just need to remember the faithfulness of the Lord and what he's called us to over and over again. Now, in, in this middle section, we, we see that the people have a, a great reverence for the word of God. And we see this in a couple of ways. First in verse 3, where Nehemiah says, all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Right? It wasn't like they just stood and people were like, "Is this? I got to get out of here. You know, they weren't going to the bathroom 15 times or making up whatever excuses, right? You, you know, it's, it's this easy distraction. I mean, how many of you, it, since COVID has brought this into our life so much, right? You, you end up in a Zoom meeting or a class or whatever it is. And you're like, you suddenly start browsing something, checking your, your texting. And, and before you know it, you're completely un, unengaged with what the speaker is saying. And until they call on your name, you're like, i got a bad connection. Like, you don't even know what's going on enough. Something's got to save you at that point. See, we, we have this strong temptation in our lives all the time in a whole new way, worse than any generation before us, right? Um, th- there is a part of you that probably right now, and I'm almost afraid to mention it because it's going to stir it up in you, right, that, that wants to check your Instagram feed or wants to say, oh, did someone so text me back? Uh, you know, I just want to look right now and try to resist it because I'll probably notice right now if you do it. Um, but, but part of it, right, is, is this reverence for, for the word of God is, is seen in how they are attentive, how they are actively listening to it, not just kind of. Listening to it. The, the other point of reverence is in verse 5. that Ezra opens the scroll and what do the people do? They stand. You see, this is a, it was an outward expression of their inward reverence for God's word. As God's people, we do not worship the physical Bible. Right? We don't. Which is why, like, if, if someone wants to buy a Bible and burn it, I'm not going to fight them over it. I think it's foolish. I think it's disrespectful to the word. But I'm not going to fight them over that. The physical part is, is not where, where the reverence is here, right? But to God's actual word. We're, we're not idolaters of, of physical copies of the Bible. But, but we worship God who addresses us through the holy scriptures. And that raises a question for us. Should, should we stand whenever the scriptures are read like we did today as a sign of reverence? In many churches, that is the practice today. At, at RUF, uh, John has the students stand for the reading of the, uh, of the scriptures every week. It, it is certainly a, a way, a good way to communicate respect for the word, but, it, but it's also not the only way to show respect. And it's, it's not required in, in Scripture that we stand for the reading, or, or in the Scripture, that we stand for the reading of the Scripture. After all, we, we see other examples, right? Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened as he read and taught. And then the people told the Jeremiah scribe, right, hey, sit down and read the Scriptures to us. We see other examples. And notice in this passage, Ezra doesn't tell them to stand as is as usually the practice today. They just do so. It was built into their, their culture as a sign of respect. But, but as Derek uh, Thomas says, he says, It is a mistake both exegetically and liturgically to insist that standing is the only correct posture for the reading of Scripture. We certainly can. I think it's worth us as a church even considering is that a way we want to do it. And still, whenever and however we come to the scriptures, a posture of heartfelt reverence is always expected. Not just in formal settings, but anytime we approach God's word. You see, one of the things we see here is they recognize this as actually God's word. Did you notice in, in back in verse 1, if you look at it, right? It says, uh, the Torah, right? These first five books is referred to as the book of the law of Moses, And then if you look at verse 8, it's referred to differently. It's referred to as the law of God. It's called Moses' word, right? Law at one point. And it's called God's law at another point. Well, see, while Moses wrote the words with his hand, they recognize it's God's words to them. And regardless of how they display respect, that's why they are so reverent to God's word. That's why they recognize this as God's word. That's why you and I need to understand that probably better, so that we approach God's word with, with greater reverence with a greater sense of recognizing its authority. Real, real quick, in verse 6, Ezra prays and the people say, Amen, Amen, unless they say Amen, Amen. Um, whatever Ezra prayed, they're, they're agreeing with him. That, that's what's happening, uh, Amen, right? It means truly. And so there's this, this heartfelt, uh, enthusiastic agreement that they are, are shouting out. They, they also, we see, lift up their hands in worship. They bowed their heads in this time of worship. They participated in worship with their, their voice, with their movements. And I, I want to remind you of, of this. You're free to do that. We, we are never going to compel you to do that. Our singers are not going to tell you to raise your hand. It's, it's now time to do so. But if you feel the desire to do so, by all means, you're, you're free to do so. Uh, many of you raise your hands to receive the benediction at the end of the service, this idea of we're receiving this, this good word. I raise my hands to, to give you that good word. The point here is that, um, is this, okay? Bottom line is this disengaged worship is simply not worship. You can attend a worship service and not worship the Lord. God's people in this passage were mentally engaged. They're attentively uh, attentive to the reading of God's word. They're verbally engaged. They're responding with amen. Physically engaged, they're standing, they're raising their hands, they're bowing their heads. Uh, Christian, be fully engaged in worshiping the Lord. And the other part I want to mention here is just this that worship is all of the liturgy. Um, and, and this is the word worship has come in our culture to kind of be a genre and mean only music. Uh, when I was first going to Redeemer in Kansas City, uh, applying, uh, in one of the phone call conversations, maybe it was in person, uh, Tony Felice, the pastor, asked me, uh, Can you lead worship? And I said, no. And he's like, could you like, try? He's like, no. I don't, like, I don't know any of the music at all. I can't play anything. I don't know anything musically. I cannot lead worship. And he kind of giggled. He's like, that's, that's not what I mean. Um, right? Because they have this, this culture of worship that it is the whole service. And I was coming from a more evangelical, evangelical idea that worship is just the music part of the service. Uh, you worship during corporate confession. You, you worship during the time of offering. You worship by being attentive to the reading of the word, by being, uh, participating in the, in the reading portions when we do it together in it. You, by, by being uh, attentive to the sermon, by, by praying along with the pastoral prayer. Right? By listening, here's what it says, and amen, amen, you can agree, you know, to yourself at that moment. Um, everything from the call to worship to the benediction is corporate worship. Uh, finally, let's, let's consider these last two verses. There, there's a list of ordained priests, who as verse 7 says, helped the people to understand the law. All right, That's the first part, verse 7. Uh, the, the scripture here, as, they, as they're reading it, they're reading it in the language of Hebrew, the language it was written in. Um, but the people after the exile are actually more fluent in Aramaic, which is similar to Hebrew, but is not Hebrew. Uh, and so the Levites are helping them to understand what God's word actually says in their language. That's the first part there. And, and then in verse 8 we read, they, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This, this is what's called expositional preaching. You maybe, maybe heard that word before. Exposition means to explain. Okay, that you explain God's word. It's, it's you read a portion of God's word, you explain a portion of God's word including application of God's word. Uh, here's how it relates to, to issues in our own day. Uh, these Levites applied it to life in Persian culture in, in 445 uh, BC. We explain it to life in American culture in 2022. Uh, th- this is when we realize, right, at this point in the reading of this passage, that they didn't just read for six hours. It-, it wasn't just straight reading and just, oh, take in more, take in more, take in more. Uh, but they are learning God's word. They are having it explained to them yes, it's six hours of preaching, but not just reading. Uh, and each Levite, right, we're seeing is, is, is out in this group in, in areas where they're able to explain stuff, right? Well, here's what they're saying. Here's what that means. Here's how, that, how we apply that. And this is because the word of God is not just to be read. It is not just to be heard, but to be understood and applied and obeyed. And, and we need exposition for that. As James Montgomery Boyce said once, um, topical sermons can be relevant and moving. But what God has promised to bless And what he has most used to bring blessing is the teaching and the preaching of his word. In other words, explanation, application. And while there is a place for topical sermons, we've done a few of them ourselves, uh, we are overwhelmingly committed as a church to, to preaching through books of the Bible consecutively. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the whole counsel of God, that's what we're committed to, to the exposition. What does God say? but what does this mean for the way that we live our lives, the, the way we view God, the way we think of ourselves, and, right? And, and, and so, uh, anyway, what a, what a day this must have been for God's people here, right? And, and, and we'll have to wait till next week to really see it. I kind of already told you, you might have read ahead, right? We're going to see some great um, reformation. We're going to see some confession. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, but before we finish today, let's, let's apply this a bit more. I think we hear this, right, this recommitment of of God's people here to God's word, to the nation of Israel even, and and we might hear this and we think, oh, our nation needs that, needs a return to the scripture. Now, I'll I'll tell you, the older that you are, the more likely you are to feel that in in the sense, right, that, that we as a nation need to return to the scriptures, you, you feel that because you see the decay of people's character and the departure from a, a biblical sexual ethic and, and views on abortion and so many other uh, moral issues. While the, the younger you are, the more likely you, you are to think that this nation has never taken the scriptures serious. That, that return is not what we need so much as a finally going to the scriptures. And you think that because we, we, we wouldn't have enslaved people or treated them so poorly afterwards among other issues of human dignity if we'd taken the scripture serious in the past. And, and on some level you're, you're, you're both right. And yet you can't make people of our nation, you can't make them take God's word serious. You, you can't even make your own heart to love God's word. You know that. But you can pray for that, you can ask the Lord to do that, you can, you can ask the Lord to bring about revival in our land, and yes, we long for that. You can ask the Lord to bring about renewal, right, a revival in, 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 in His people, in His church, and, and in your own hearts, and in your own priorities. You, you can make His word a priority in your life. You can do that by, by reading it, by seeking to understand it too, not just reading it right by submitting your your life under the authority of god's word of this book you can commit to gathering corporately with god's people to hear and understand god's word you see the the question for your heart is this be honest what what value do you place upon the word of god really though not what you'd say you value it because we're all like it's highest it's the, it's the most important what does your life show about that is it is it merely a habit you feel you're supposed to have half-heartedly hurriedly reading it as though it were an uninteresting school assignment check that off yay good christian or, or do you search it as if you were seeking for hidden treasures? Are you, are you looking to know yourself better through the lens of Scripture? Are you searching to, to, to know God better, who He is, what He's done as, as you look to the Scriptures? Are you, are you coming with a, a submissive posture yielding to God's Word, as God's Word? Thinking, you know what, whatever God calls me to, whatever values He calls me to, whatever way of life He calls me to in His Word, That's what I'm going to seek. As you read the word, as you sit under the preaching, be endlessly asking, right, the Holy Spirit to help you answer that, those questions, but also this simple question, right? How does this apply to my life? Not just what does this mean intellectually, but but what what does this mean for me as a child of God? How is my understanding of God supposed to change because of what I'm reading in the Word? Or, or my understanding of what is morally right supposed to be, how is that driven because of what the Word reveals to me? How, how should I spend my money and my time? How should I pursue relationships? And so on, based on the Word of God. So I want to close with these, these words from Martin Luther. These words spoken in 1533. This is where I'd have Stucky do the math. So... Carry the one a long time ago. Uh, he said this. He said, the word of God is the greatest, most necessary, most important thing in all of Christendom. Christendom being all of the Christian church across the world. The world in that for that matter. Well, let's pray. Father, we we spend time in things we love. No one has to force themselves to listen to their favorite singer. None of us have to create a habit of watching football or eating great food and yet many of us struggle to spend time with you and your word and prayer. We confess that. Yes, Holy Spirit, give us resolve to pursue you even when our desire is lacking. But now I I pray that you would stir up our hearts to long for your word. Father, I ask and, and this gathering place this morning as your church is gathered would you stir up our hearts to long for your word to seek it out to consume it like our favorite food make our hearts to love your word this we ask in jesus name amen